and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we are in hiatus. Hiatus. Well, sort of. We're Which still is, here. What language is hiatus? I don't know the answer to that. That's like for... No, I'm sorry, that's halitosis. That's bad breath. Okay. I don't think we're in halitosis. I think we're just I'm, in hiatus. I'm very certain that we're not in whatever you just said. <laughs> we are sort of on the little baby break. Between season two, which mm-hmm. didn't have a theme other than, hey, here's some famous movies I haven't seen. Better watch them quick it, before Paul Scheer watch them for uns- watches them for unspooled. Well, and it's important, though, because these are things that were game changers cinematically that led to a lot of the kind of movies that we're seeing today. I mean, I guess so. Thematically and otherwise. But I think that that's true of everything that we watch. Mm-hmm. But um, these movies were better. And this is a break between our season two movies and season three more movies. But we have a theme for the movies going forward. But this week, what are we going to talk about? Because this is a hiatus episode, so that means Lemuel is in charge. And when Lemuel is in charge, he says... So in this instance, I thought we could look at something culturally significant that's very current that we didn't miss out on. And that was the film Black Panther. Black Panther! Which is, I think, going forward, going to be very influential. It already is. It's already made a mark. But there are films that make a mark, and then you pass over them. They're popular for the time being. Um, But this is going to be something that is going to be a benchmark going forward in how we look at movies and essentially how people approach this kind of movie, this sort of movie with a racially diverse cast, which is mostly black, but still racially diverse. We are... And even diverse in blackness. That's what I mean, yeah. right. It's not, we're not looking at a cast of African-American actors, but some African-African actors and some Afro-European actors. Mm-hmm. And how they're telling this story, not from the point of view of an introductory Caucasian character who goes to Africa to discover these things. Right. Or even an African-American who goes to Africa to discover these things but a story about black identity, which is really what this story is about. Now, for the very sensitive, I'm not always going to use probably the appropriate term because I'm 49 years old. So sometimes I will say African-American, and sometimes I will say black because that was a term I grew up with. My understanding is that's where we're at, but I lose track. If my mom was here... Just don't use any words that start with N and we well, should be good. If my mom would hear, she would use the word Negro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm saying no words that start with the word N. Right. So I thought we could go into this and try to get a jump on it and talk about why it's culturally significant and why you felt and I felt uh, that it was an important movie. Okay. We're not going to do a breakdown, a plot no, breakdown, we're not going to do a plot breakdown because the film is currently... There are some people who haven't seen it. I just, you guys, if you haven't seen it... See it. Go see it. I it's available friend. digitally now. You don't even have to leave your house. A Facebook friend who just saw it yesterday, and I realized, oh, if I go giving away plot points, this... Um, I kind of want to do a super spoiler one, but right. I understand you don't want to do that. I don't necessarily want to, but give people a rough idea of what happens in the movie. And I forget the turnaround of films nowadays uh, from theater to home entertainment is really quick. Very fast. We own the DVD, and also we could go to the theater and watch it. And we could still see it. When I was looking at the film just now online, I still saw a showtime for it. Yeah, there are showtimes for it, because when even when it had left the theaters locally, when Avengers got two theaters, they brought Black Panther back to piggyback on it. Right. Where do you want to start? 
What I want to start with is, first of all, who the character is, because that starts earlier than this film, obviously. I look at it now and seeing how much a part of things that were sort of underground culture or not necessarily mainstream culture when I was a kid, and how they're becoming mainstream now. So when the Avengers movies were first announced, there was my nephew and I getting excited when we saw Samuel Jackson at the end of Iron Man. Oh yeah, and everybody else Avengers going, initiative. who that? Right, why Samuel Jackson in the last three seconds of the movie? There were actual Facebook questions going, well, what, what's he doing there? Why is he wearing an eye patch? And there was, uh, my nephew at the time was really involved in the comic book industry. He was trying to work with a few other people to start an independent book. And so I, it was, I was immersed in it first as a kid, and then again, you know, as an adult through my nephew's connections. And so I knew all about how Nick Fury, who originally was played by David Hasselhoff in a TV movie, Oof, a doof. No could thing. be played by Samuel Jackson. And my understanding is, sometime in the mm. '90s, they asked Samuel yes, they Jackson ask if his they could to use his image, use his likeness. So in the books, right, it's Sam Jackson. He changed from a white man to a black man, um, but there weren't that many black characters. And so Black Panther, way back in the day, was an important step forward because there was a lot of readers who didn't see themselves identified in the comic book. And what I also like is that Black Panther was not in any way sort of a subordinate superhero. Mm-hmm. His first move is to take out the entire Fantastic Four, which was really bold, you know, to show that he outsmarted or outwitted or was Why? Stronger. What did they do? Well, he was testing them all to see if he could use them as a resource to fight off another villain when there was only one of him. And he needed the resources of someone like the Fantastic Four to help him. But the fact that he was able to systematically take them all out meant a lot. Because in other words, he's not, you know, a superhero with limited abilities. He's one who's as intelligent as Reed Richards and is who can figure out a way to outdo the thing, who's um, just beneath the level of the Hulk in physical ability. Right, but like his move was to take out the Fantastic Four to test their abilities and their strengths and their weaknesses. And then he was going to marshal them to help him, to help them save Wakanda. I feel like... Okay. Whatever. I feel like that could have been handled better. Like, did they know he was going to test them or did he just attack them? No, he didn't just attack them. He planned it He started a plot. Well, no, I understand that. But were they involved in the plot is the question I'm asking. Mm. Or did they, he come at them like he was a villain? And so he yes, was introduced the first like time you a see villain. Him, he's introduced like a villain. And then oh, you I don't like that. that he, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't like that because he's not a villain. He's no. on the same side as the Fantastic Four. So it's weird to me that they would introduce him as a villain. It was an interesting introduction to the character because as you see him, he doesn't take off the mask. For quite a while, so he's mm-hmm. very mysterious and scary looking. And so my understanding too, and a lot of people get this confused, is he is a completely separate entity from the Black Panther Party, Which but they the were born yeah. in the same, like, months, months apart. apart, and I think he was first, yeah, uh, if, and there if was I the understand correctly. There was an attempt to curb his identity, uh, or call him the Panther, and that didn't go over big. Mm-hmm. And they decided to just go with Black Panther. It's one of those cases where two things happen at the same time. And I'm sure that that identification didn't hurt them. you know. Um, right. But uh, he, he made a lot of sort of appearances. He later on became a full-fledged hero with his own comic. He was very socially conscious. And then he would appear a lot of times and make these sort of guest appearances in other comic books, you know, eventually, I believe, coming part of the Avengers. Some of this mm-hmm. happened after my time. 
Yeah. Or in the lull between, as I said, the first time I was reading comic books and the second time. Uh, I missed, apparently, when um, he took on the Ku Klux Klan. No, oh, jeez. There was a lot of great stuff. There was a lot of... It was important to a lot of people. A lot of filmmakers, African-American filmmakers and writers, traced the influence to seeing this very kind of positive role model. There were still some problems with it, with the portrayal of Africa, because it was still very much a part of a, a comic book universe that looked like something out of a Tarzan comic strip, you know. But at the same time... It, and he was, like, blue. Yeah. Like the way that he had, because of the way that comics were colored, mm-hmm. he well, was there like was a, blue. There was a guy I met, uh, when I met him, he had physically, uh, he suffered a lot of injuries. He was an athlete at one point, he was a very big, stocky guy, and he was confined to a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. One night we're talking, and he says, he had, way back when, he actually conceived of a black superhero, when he was a very young man, and tried to pitch it to the comic book companies and magazine companies at the time. And no one was uh, buying it. And their excuse was that they couldn't manage to get the right mix of colors in the, the, in the printing process. So somewhere in my belongings, I have a picture of the first black superhero who never got published. Oh, no. But, um, but since then, there was a lot of development. There, there's been others. Largely, this was the reason why it was important to even go into all this, is it's about representation, who gets shown. Yeah which is probably what this movie is really important, what makes it important, too. Uh, we first saw Black Panther in the Marvel Civil War movie. Yes, Captain America Civil War. Right, and so there was a... And you got to see him be Black Panther. He's, you saw him first uh-huh. as T'Challa. Right. With his father. Right. In a very touching scene. And then... A very tragic scene. Bad things happen. And then... He targets the Winter Soldier and goes a full panther. Well, yeah, and the panther, what I like about those scenes is there's a lot of influence, pop culture influence to him. The Bruce Lee pose, the whole mm-hmm. kind of, the fact that you also get to see him go toe-to-toe with Captain America, and that's a big deal. Once again, sort of right out the gate. And Captain America's like, taste my shield, and he's like, Psh. Your shield. My whole outfit is made out of vibranium. <laughs> it was a really good idea to introduce him that way. Set up a lot of anticipation for the second film. Yeah. Or this film, rather, the first in the series. Do you want to talk a little bit about Chadwick Boseman? Absolutely. Why don't you? So, Chadwick Boseman is the person who plays Black Panther, um, and as far as we know, will continue to play Black Panther now. Chadwick Boseman was an interesting pick for me because of a few things. One, his age. He is like 41 or 42 now. Mm-hmm. So older than you might think a incoming leading superhero is going to be. And two, he is primarily known in the United States, at least, for playing every famous African-American that there is. He has played Thurgood Marshall. He has played Jackie Robinson. He has played... The Godfather of Soul. James Brown. James Brown. Which was a great performance. It was a really good performance. Well, I'm performance. sure they were all great performances. Yeah, but I mean, that one in particular I saw. I didn't see the other two because I don't really have much of an interest in baseball. All I knew was that when it ran over, I didn't get to see Son of Godzilla. Oh, no. Um, which was a tragedy. Uh, so he, yeah, so his, he doesn't come from an action place. He comes from a historical place. A drama place. place. A drama place. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was really interesting. Because the other main male in the film 
is Michael B. Jordan. So Michael B. Jordan would maybe seem like a more uh, sort of fitting person to play, or like a like a easier choice to play the main character. Uh, younger, certainly, you get more films out of him in the long run, just from a money perspective. But apparently, we watched a documentary, a headliners doc- documentary on CNN, and apparently, the only name that came up when they were doing the casting was Chadwick. So they had him on lock from the beginning. And I'm actually wondering if part of that might be a coloring thing. You think so? I don't know. But Chadwick Boseman is darker, and typically a lot of a lot of people will lighten their leads if they're concerned about it being too black. Now, it doesn't appear that Marvel ever fucking worried about this movie being too black, which is mm. awesome and great. Uh, and but I'm I'm wondering if that was a thought going into it. I mean, you hear things like. You know, Zoe Saldana playing Nina Simone, where you're right. just like, but what? Yeah. And they have a lot of dark-skinned people in this movie and well, in the leads Africans. of yeah. this movie. And that's, it would be in a, just sort of inappropriate to kind of cast... Well, there are lighter-skinned people on the continent well, of well, Africa. What I, no, but... <laughs> yes, there are. But they tend to be separated regionally. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I remember my friend Kim, who did relief age relief work in uh, Ghana, talked about traveling different African countries and saying that essentially because they don't have the sort of crossing borders or the sort of communications that we have here. You get a freeway, you drive to another town. Mm -hmm. There it's actually a struggle down a road with a ditch on one side, literal Mm -hmm. ditch. Mm -hmm. She said she went to a village and everyone looked like Jaiman Hansu. Because this is the village from which Jaiman Hansu came. Right, exactly. It's the village from which he came and everyone was this, you know, kind of six feet tall and kind of godlike, you know. And she immediately got a lot and of people who instantly... And what were the right? for that location? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Which is where she got from a lot of her female friends, like, where is this village? I'd like to go there. The thing is that when... Often when there is... And I feel, again, this comes from having an African-American director. Right. I had questions about the African-American experience and how this ties into Africa itself. Right. He wanted to create a sort of a pan-Africa mm-hmm. inside of Wakanda, which is why there's five separate tribes and they're mm-hmm. represented with different costumes. Is they it live five? In, I believe so. Because okay. there's the one that doesn't participate. Oh, right. Who lives in the mountains. Yes, yes, yes. There is five. Um, but there's a lot of, even playing with Hollywood stereotypes, African tribes. Yeah. At one point, uh, Martin Freeman's character is threatened with being eaten. Yes. And then the character who threatens him laughs, oh no, we're vegetarians. We're vegetarians, But yeah. the, the notion of that sort of missionary soup image that people yes. have of Africa, you, know, you could see on his face like, oh my God, it's true. No, it's not true. Of I course mean, not. Shuri calls him colonizer right. at one which point. Got a which big is whoop from the audience when, when I watched Because it. the way that it's delivered is not right. accusatory. It's thrown off the cuff. Like, right. he sneaks up on her and she just says, colonizer, don't scare me like that. Right. And this is the gist of the film, for those who haven't seen or are unfamiliar with it, is that Wakanda is this kind of Afrofuturist realization of something, uh, a place that had never been colonized. Yes. No and it was European right. or Indian or Asian colonization. There might be some Indian connections. There may be connections. They, there might be some crossover yeah. of culture ago. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are skyscrapers that look like right. African architecture. And everything's based architecture. on sort of an African. And, and what I like 
about that in particular is that often with fantasy and adventure and science fiction movies, they don't quite hit the mark. Everything looks like everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the films I admired from the 80s, and I, which makes no sense to the fact that we're talking also about Black Panther because it is a vaguely racist film in awesome. some ways, was Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. And... Um, Drive the... Right. Your enemies before you. And, and it was the lamentations of the women. Which is a fairly good imitation. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you put more emotion into that than he did with his. But it was his first feature film, I think. What I liked is that Ron Cobb, I believe that was his name, the production designer, and a lot of people, the costume designer, tried very hard to create a mythical world that fit into history. Mm-hmm. They went and looked at Celtic designs. They imagined that this was a region that actually fit into a map mm -hmm. somewhere you know, between the Caucasus and the, and the Mediterranean, and they put all these influences in and made a historical, like something that actually looked like it belonged in a historical age that we can't quite put a finger on. That's, I feel like that's what Game of Thrones tries to do as well. Uh -huh. That's a fantasy world. Right. Like, it is not our world. But also, it's medieval times. <laughs> well, that's, I, I appreciate that more. I don't like when I'm watching a fantasy film and there's those goofy elven swords with all the hooks and ladders on them and something that you would never practically use as a weapon, and the costumes make no sense. But what I liked about Conan is that they tried very hard to create this sort of, like, somewhere around the steps we're looking at. You know, so there's an right. Asian influence. There's a, so with Wakanda, there's a conscious attempt to put a lot of African design, not only into the costumes, but into the buildings, mm -hmm. into the way that everything looks, and also mm -hmm. Afrofuturist Afro in that, Let's take it further. Had they been allowed to develop, these people, their own technology, mm -hmm. it would have come completely different from what we have mm -hmm. now. I mean, it has a whole different religion. And you really get the sense that this is a self-contained world that they live right. in. Right. And, like, their technology is surpasses mm -hmm. Western technology. Right. But does not look like the next, like, do iterations past an iPhone or whatever. Right. It's a totally different thing exactly. that does the same, that achieves the same function. And it does. They have right. these beads that do yeah. uh, everything. But you see in African culture everywhere. The <laughs> yeah. The, the, and I, I uh -huh. want some, but I'm pretty sure that'd be appropriate. But they're so cool. But they like make a little, like a, like a little hologram right. of the person you're talking to. Excuse me, and it's like a phone. Mm -hmm. It's like FaceTime, but so, like fucking way better. <laughs> right. I and mean, we should talk about that just a second what you said about cultural appropriation. I think that's not cultural appropriation if you're wearing the beads well, because you think they're cool. Well, wearing the beads, uh -huh. wearing specifically Wakandan beads, because there's not that's not technically an actual right. culture. But I mean, it's because I have this discussion, as you know, online all the time about mm -hmm. what is and what is not cultural appropriation. Yeah. And it had to do with a, a Caucasian girl wearing an Asian-style dress. Yes. And I don't think that in itself was... Now, if at any point she's making faces, I knew that she did a She did a hands-together right. bow, which I, it felt aping of quote-unquote geisha. Right. Now, she was wearing a Chinese-style dress, right. so... You know, but I'm always get your Asians right. But right, when I was uh, practicing salat, you do the hands closed gesture, so right. you do that to everybody. And uh -huh. wearing a a Chinese cut st like uh -huh. style dress with, and that's just like the 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 mock neck, right, with the straight cut, right. um, is different than wearing like 
a war bonnet, well, for instance. Uh, again, uh, which was my the example which I Which you might know as a headdress. Is Lana Del Rey, mm-hmm. you know, in short shorts, droning on about her last sexual conquest while wearing an Indian headdress. Or uh, Madonna wearing sacred uh, face paint, the Shakti symbols on her yeah. body. Yeah. And a see-through t-shirt and making out with, um, what's his name? Oh, was that on the, like, the Like a Virgin uh, I thing? I forget or? which one it was. It was doing Ray of Light. Okay. And she was performing oh, no, that. it was later than that. Okay. And she started out doing yoga and doing a chant, and then she breaks out into making out with Lenny Kravitz and whatever else. Oh, I don't know. While she's still wearing this. the makeup. It was really, I was looking at it going, Like, those are sacred symbols right. and you are basically shitting all over them. Right. It's just like, this is not, when you're using a sacred symbol or somebody else's culture to sell something, mm-hmm. I think is where it makes crosses a line for me. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, going back to this. To sell something or to, or just with no. Respect for the culture. Yeah, an understanding of what that thing is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get that a lot with martial arts. You see it a lot with people just, they don't understand the culture that it came from. There was an instructor who's currently in San Francisco. He insists that if you're going to learn martial arts from him, you're going to take some other element of Japanese culture. You're going to take a calligraphy class. You can take Ikebana flower Oh, ranging. that's interesting. He said, you can't just sort of jump in and go, okay, now I'm a badass. I know how to defend myself on a bark train or something. He's insisting Because that, it's interwoven right. in with the rest of it's the culture, so, so you like, need... I will teach you Japanese dance. I, we have, he has like a Can you taiko drum? Yes, apparently, yes. It's very good for your shoulders. considered a martial art oh. in Japan. I guess you wouldn't want to do both of those things. Then. Well, you can. Oh, okay. Because it teaches the same footwork and the same kind of turning your hips and things, but... Um, he really does insist that you're going to learn some other part of the culture and not just walk away with this one thing this and one take thing. it out of context. Yeah. But um, going back to the the film, yeah. What the, the the basic story, just to give a general outline, is we're following the adventures of T'Challa as he takes the mantle of authority away from his father who passed away in the passed previous film. Yeah. So it's left to him. Right. He's next in succession, but. Mm-hmm. Tradition dictates that they're it like all of the tribes right. in Wakanda have to either acquiesce to him or right. challenge for challenge. the throne. And so we're introduced to the character of his mother, who's Angela Bassett, looking like a goddess. Yeah, a whole, her mm, the the costume. If this doesn't win mm, for yeah, can't for, be for best for costuming, yeah. It, it's a travesty and a horror, and I understand it was released in February, and mm. I don't care. This is some of the best costuming work right. ever. And and to the point where, like, Nakia, who is played by Lupita Nyong'o, is a member of the River Tribe, uh-huh. and the River Tribe's colors are gr- uh-huh. is green, and she wears green in every scene, even right. if her main color isn't green. Right. Same with the right. other characters. I believe, um, like, Daniel... Co- Kaluwe, uh-huh. his last name I never learned how to pronounce. <laughs> I'm tempted to say Kalua. That's why I don't say his I last know. name. It wants um, to come from, out of From Get Out um, is one of the border mm. tribe, and I believe it's blue, yeah. and there he's wearing blue the this whole time. This is where you can, you'll be better at this than I Yes. Because I can't see those colors. Yeah. It's impossible not to give away the film with anything that you say, because there's twists that happen almost right away. Yeah. Yes. But it's basically the gist of the film is... Uh, it really hinges on these questions about assuming the authority and the mantle of leadership. And then what you're going to do with it. What you're going to do with it. Because the question is, if and it poses a very interesting question, if there is this technologically superior culture that's evaded colonialism by 
pretending, basically. Yeah, they have basically a don't in every time I cry. I've cried every time I've watched this movie. I probably uh-huh. will cry every time I watch this movie. When they go through the dome, they have like this shielding dome, so it looks mm-hmm. like it's just a big like rainforest. Right. And as soon as you break the dome, it's this towering city, right. just thriving with people and right. technology and, the city also and goes culture and vertical. Uh, what is it? I guess it goes vertically and also and then down as well down. because they the have these vibranium mines, which right. is where all of the and this is exactly money what colonizers would have liked to have taken. Yes, please. And so their attempt. Uh, uh, we we have several villains. We have uh, Mister Ulysses Claw from uh, had gone all the way back to the second Avengers film. Yes, played um, by a. Andy Circus with a face. Hi, Andy Circus's face. Right. Nice I, I, to see you. Which is strange because he's very different from the character in the comic books I remember who wore a full superhero costume, but I, I think Andy Circus at this point doesn't want like, to. Like, let fun. me see some. Yeah, especially because he's doing, he's directing and working on the next Jungle Book. The uh-huh. gritty reboot of the Jungle Book will be covered in right. dots for that as well, I think. Uh, the film involves an. Uh, Sort of like a his right hand man, who's Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. and who changes or shifts importance in the film, and is hinged on a scene that happens very early. It's his role is kind of mysterious up until midway through the film, and then yeah. suddenly there's there's a surprise there. And uh, he's sort of the muscle, but he's also a lot of the brains too, because he guides them to Wakandan artifacts that are made of vibranium, which is mm-hmm. the metal that everybody wants. It's what Captain America's shield is made out of, yeah. Right, and there's other things in the... And and apparently it's so plentiful. And Claw's got a fake arm that is Wakandan technology. Right. And it's like a laser cannon? Yeah, it is. Which is the only thing that carried over from the comic book character. Only in the comic book he literally has like a cannon-shaped cannon. Here it's a prosthetic that opens up and does all sorts of neat stuff. Because it looks um, better. Yeah, a guy with just a cannon for an arm. There's so much that could go wrong there. So open to, to parody. It's, at, at, at several points, there's challengers to the throne. There's a decision that T'Challa has to make about whether he integrates the world or whether he continues this program of isolation. And, and that's, the, that's the fundamental theme. So mm-hmm. you are an African nation, and you know that descendants of Africans all over the world are being oppressed. No. Okay, we'll put it in the in the nicest possible terms. There are there is oppression for descendants of Africans all over the world. Do you use your might, and it is might, like they are mighty, to protect the Wakandans in Wakanda and the Africans close to you that you can? Like Nakia is a spy, so she does spy like missions trying to help people in various places but she's one person mm-hmm. or do you take all of these weapons and all of this technology and make the oppressors the oppressed or is there a happy medium somewhere in between right. and it's a good question I, I watched it with I watched the film I think so I've seen it twice in the theater but what with this uh, with that second viewing I it really started this whole conversation like, could they have gotten away? What I am impressed with the film is that it went there. Mm-hmm. And it really went there. There mm-hmm. was not a question of backing up. There wasn't soft-peddling the issue at all. And you didn't need to do that in a superhero film. You had a built-in audience for this movie no matter yes. what you did. There are people who are going to watch it who are just completists. 
there were people who were going to watch it because they really liked the premiere of Black Panther in the last uh, big superhero film. And there were people who were going to watch it because it's an African-centered yeah, film. Yeah, here's my point. You didn't have to make it as pronounced and as insistent on this theme as you did. Right. You, he could have right. really softened it for uh, easy consumption there, by all, there and are lines, he didn't. I am not Caucasian. I am not... You're right, so... There are lines that make me wince, and I'm Hispanic, right? So they were like, wow, he, that was a really, that, he put it out there. My goal, or my hope when I right. went into the movie was, please let the white people talk less than five, less, like, I want to be able to mm. count the number of lines by white people on mm. both hands, or yeah. less. Now, they don't quite manage that. Mm-hmm. It's close, though. Right. There are two speaking white characters. One of them is Claw, right. and the other one is uh, Martin Freeman, uh, who is an ongoing uh, Marvel. Marvel CIA yeah. agent. Right. So, He's sort of replacing the part that Phil Coulson, yes. that character, used to play in the early Marvel films. Mm, yeah, although... As being the guy who just sort of is there to tie you into the whole universe. Yes, you know? yes. Okay, in that, in that way, yes. Because right. he doesn't, he's not a S.H.I.E.L.D. operative, which no, is he's what not. Phil he's Coulson sort of, was. Right. But he kind of ties the whole thing together mm-hmm. for people. What I liked about that film is that they, at no point, and they tease him. That's no more than teasing what they're doing. It's not like there's a lot of invective poured on him. No. He's an outsider. He doesn't belong there. Right. He realizes he doesn't belong mm-hmm. there. And he's very respectful. To the end, there's a, a deleted scene about his willingness to keep Wakanda a secret. Yeah, like you don't have to... Right. Like whatever you want to do, right? I'm gonna I'm back your play, right. yeah. Which was really interesting because I wanted them. I wanted that. I I was uh, mentioning to you how much I appreciate that every time you see the conf- not the confrontation after that first film or that first confrontation, you see Captain America with T'Challa. There's a real respect that goes back. He's yeah, always Captain America's like he's a king, and right. I respect him as a king. And that's part of what makes the Captain America character and this iteration of it really. And that's knowing that they are anti each other in right. the movies like the, their their goals don't align right. they end up being on the uh, end up being on the same page right. but at first they are very much on opposite teams but at no point in the recent infinity war movie you see an example of tony stark not getting along with doctor strange yes i mean he's really disrespectful he's you know doing a hamstring stretch on top of a sacred artifact and well yeah he, he doesn't he doesn't respect anybody, but you see but when he that also doesn't, doesn't work out right. Let's make a little, I'm going to take a little. Tony Stark worships technology right. and has no truck for magic. Does not understand that it is mm. real even. Right. Even after what he sees, I think, in this last movie, right. he's barely comprehending that magic is a thing. Right. So that's why he's not respectful well, of it. because consistent with his character because he, when Thor tries to explain to him why no one can lift the hammer... He's still making excuses. It has right. a fingerprint recognition technology. Right. It's, like, it's you know, because it's technology magic. is what he understands. Right. He does not understand magic. This other thing, That's right. outside so, but of his you purview. See that even then, when he's first introduced, he's still very sort of disrespectful. He doesn't get along with him. Whereas watching Captain America, who's sort of like supposed to be an idealization of our virtues as a country. Mm-hmm. That's what he was supposed to represent. Seeing him respect him means a great deal mm-hmm. uh, in this series of films. But yeah, so I'm curious about your point of view with it. What does the white girl think of Black Panther? Is that what we're asking? <laughs> yes, we're asking what the white girl thinks of Black Panther. 
Woke. I would add woke white girls. That's fine. You can call me woke, but really, we all know that my opinion about this movie doesn't matter. But what I will say, that doesn't mean I'm not going to give it. I'm just Mm. saying, I cry when I watch this movie Mm -hmm. because I was hungry to see Mm -hmm. this kind of representation. And when I think about how excited I get to see this, Mm-hmm. Then I just think about, and it's not even me. Like, right, right. what if I was, what if I was African American right. and got to see this? Like, what must that be like? That's amazing. I get real bummed out when quote unquote black movies are real shitty right. because it seems unfair Should to me. Into my head and say Tyler Perry. If yeah, no, we <laughs> don't know how to do that. Fuck you, Tyler Tyler Perry, <laughs> and you're sanctimonious woman hating bullshit Mm -hmm. but he makes money i don't understand this thing in hollywood of movies with black people won't make money tyler perry is a rich motherfucker make good movies there are Uh look at the cast of this movie any one of these people could carry a film easy so give them all movies give them all movies (laughs) like i don't understand why the, I mean, I understand why the default is like the normal character, quote unquote, mm. is a white dude. I get it. It's because everybody in Hollywood is a white dude. So mm. that's what's normal. It's bullshit and I'm tired of it. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I see them on that, on the waterfall and mm. it's all of the cultures and they're dancing and celebrating, mm. and I'm like a fucking mess just crying. Like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Mm. Like, why don't I get to see this five times a year at the theater? Mm. I want to see this five times a year at the theater. No, I'm not going to get sick of it, and I will keep paying money. Like, so that's what I think about it. Fucking representation matters. And and this is something, and there's about to be a very long-winded response, so you can edit it. (laughs) I'll lean back. All right, so this is the reason why it's important, and... You know when you start this, it really sounds like mansplaining. Go ahead. It's not mansplaining. I'm explaining because the vast storehouses of my knowledge and personal experience, and this will, I'll make it very personal because that way it'll be less like mansplaining. There was so little representation. There is still much less representation for Hispanic characters in Mm -hmm. television and film when I was a kid. We felt you had to be a gang member. Congratulations. We felt for some reason that we had to watch every episode of Chips because Eric Estrada was on television. Mm -hmm. We had to watch every episode of Fantasy Island because Ricardo Montalban was there. And he wasn't a subordinate or an inferior character. Often you had um, representations of Hispanic people that were sort of poor and ignorant and needed other people, needed white men to come rescue them. Mm -hmm. That was the plot of The Magnificent Seven, the the original film, until Mm -hmm. the Mexican government allowed them to shoot there only if they changed the script and not make it, we need you to, you know, we need Well done, Mexico. It's like, "Mm, this seems like some bullshit. It really was. And there was a, they were really upset. There was a film that was done there. Uh, earlier called Veracruz with Gary Cooper, where it was once again poor Mexicans needed a white man to come fight for white them. White saviors. Right. And this was something... Sorry, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> but this was something, even as a kid, we were watching a film like Cry Freedom that was supposed to, in school, supposed to teach us about South Africa and struggle there, and it was, oh, good lord, I forget the actor. Kevin Klein is the lead in the film, and so... It's a film about uh, the imprisonment of South African leaders 
uh, and this report, but it's from the point of view of a white reporter who's mm-hmm. reporting on it. And that was very Read common. the help. Right. So while that dynamic is still being introduced, there's still a very strong racial dynamic, and it's not just African-American, as we saw mm-hmm. not too long ago. The cast of Y Five O, which was the most diverse show on television yeah. for years. What right. the old version or the oh, new the version? The old version was okay. But the new version, there were two cast members, Asian cast members, Daniel mm-hmm. DeKim mm-hmm. and Grace Park, right? Grace Park, who came in from other shows. Daniel DeKim just came in from Lost, right? Grace Park. Grace Park just came in from Battlestar Galactica, a show I've yet to see. Oh, that's right. And they brought in their own Huge audiences. Audiences. They brought in their own audience. But and God forbid they base, make the same as the white people. But they were not paid the same as the white leads of the show. And then they left in protest um, when their contract was up. Because it's like, why aren't we? We brought people. We brought viewers into the show. Yeah. And But we're not going to be paid on equal footing with them. And so I completely applaud their decision. But this shows how little the mentality has changed. That's changed, right. So well, as hopefully a, uh, as of... You know, this year, I mean, this year, a lot of it is being brought to the forefront right. specifically. And I under, I do understand, especially with pay disparity, every, like, it's not like every person says the same number of words. Right. And so that's what they should get paid on or in the same number of yeah. seats. Like, there is going to be some discrepancy in pay, but this 40, 50, 60, 70% between the lead actor and the lead actress or the lead actor and the second lead actor who's a minority is right. fucking ridiculous. Well, it's supposed to be based on how large an audience this person can draw. The problem is that there has not been enough films, there haven't been enough films with a black lead mm-hmm. to be able to, and there were at one point, there was film, people would go and watch, my son right now is 19 years old, he will watch a movie if I tell him Sidney Poitier is in it. Yeah. Because he saw In the Heat of the Night, which is a fantastic movie. And he's incredible movie. to watch, yeah. And he's just like, I want to see more movies with that guy. Right. We've seen three or four films that Sidney Poitier did, and he's impressed with all of them. All right? There used to be... But it was weird how Sidney Poitier always portrayed these sort of virtuous... Yeah. So virtuous, that it was the expression, they shit marble. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think... And he, that was a choice that he made, right, is my understanding, he where he was like, right. I'm not going to mm. play the butler... I'm not going to play these characters. And there are other actors who have made that choice where I'm not going to play a gang member. I'm not going to... Yeah. And when I look at the cast members of this film, they're all young enough to where this can be the beginning of having a set of actors. And there are others. His name escapes me right now. Dirty Pretty Things. I don't know who's in that movie. Oh, good Lord. Are we talking about Chiwetel Ejiofor? Yes, Chiwetel Ejiofor, which is another name that I was like, I'm going to get that so wrong. It's like a dance. (laughs) But she would tell you for who is able to again. It, you see him in incredible. The film. Yeah, He's we just saw him in that every, Come Sunday movie. Right, Come Sunday, which he was fantastic. And I saw him in Red Belt. I'm like, oh, he's playing. This is something I would identify with a martial artist, and he did it. Yeah, he had the physical ability to do it. He had the the presence. These actors have not been given the chance. No, and they don't need to be given the chance by a white producer who's going to pride himself on saying this is the opportunity you need. Yeah, look what I've done. The field just needs to open up. Needs to open up. And a big part of that is black filmmakers, right? Like, Michael B. Jordan Mm -hmm. is a phenomenal actor. Right. Made better by his work with Ryan Coogler. Right, and when I was watching that, Ryan Coogler, the director of this film, I said this is the association between John Ford and John Wayne or Kurosawa and Mifune. Right. It's just like you have an actor that you can always count on just to deliver every time. Mm -hmm. You keep putting them out there. And so maybe we're star building now for a different kind of audience. Mm -hmm. It might matter less to a younger audience. And the audience that's going to go see Black Panther is a younger audience. 
one of the issues. It's also an large. older audience, though. Well, it's the older I audience think, who grew up with Black Panther right. and the younger audience. But, and who, also who, right. who want to see a movie that yes. has this many black people in it. Right. I mean, the reaction of watching black audiences seeing this film. The first time I saw yeah. I saw this movie twice in theaters in two days, mm. three days, when it came out. I'm like, Ugh. I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Right. But no, seriously, I would have voted Obama for a third term. <laughs> I went to see it the first night uh-huh. out in Concord mm-hmm. at a theater with, you know, reclining seats and uh, like a restaurant in the right. theater, right? And it was great. And then I saw it in a theater in Oakland. Right. And it was so much better right. to hear the reactions to it and right. to be part of that yeah. was so special. And I'm so glad that I did it because I think I would have missed so out. You've known uh, had the black church experience. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's I like to go to action movies and right. horror movies with a primarily black audience. Right. No, that it can be dangerous. <laughs> not dangerous, like not like my no. life is in danger, but it can. There are people who are in sometimes in those screenings that will ruin some shit right. for you. But typically, uh-huh. it's just a fun. Reactive experience interacts, interacts with, the, with, the, right. with the what's going on. Usually, somebody sitting behind me like, "That's not well, your child." I remember, <laughs> that was great. I remember the uh, story that Mark Hamill told about watching Star Wars when he was on the tour for that in Japan, and how horrified he was because it was dead silent all the way through the movie. And yeah, that's a little disconcerting too. And where the end, like, he was explained by the translator. Oh no, they loved it. This is how Japanese audiences you sit quietly, respected enough to not say anything during the movie. Yeah. And there are cultural differences right. between that movie going on. That would be hard on me, though, if I really didn't know how the audience was going to react, and that was the reaction. I'm like, oh, God, no. Yeah, is. but it's good that somebody was there to right, tell, him, tell him. No, 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 no. This is the funny. highest sign of respect they can give you. Yeah. But when I look at where we are today, right, the fact that just a few weeks or days even before Black Panther was screened or when it premiered. It was we, the week of... We got this comment about shithole countries. Yeah, why Africa. are we letting people in from Africa if they're, coming, if they're right. shithole countries? What, it, 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 it was, was that much disgrace. more important. It was that much more important in this world. Right, to be right. like, really, motherfucker? Now, granted, it's fictional. We get right. it. Nobody can go to Wakanda. Although... We should try. I feel like Disney might have enough money to build Wakanda. Like, I bet there's a place in Africa who'd be like... Yeah. But yeah, to to, to write off an entire continent. And y'all, Africa's not a country. It's a continent of several countries. And that's the other thing is that, that I thought was cool was the... The variety of blackness in yeah. the movie. Right. With the, with the actors. So we have... Um, British African, mm-hmm. African American, uh, Trinidad Tobago. Right. We've got Kenya. We've got Zimbabwe. We've got. I mean, we've got all kinds of the whole diaspora. Right. <laughs> like, because I, I also grew up in a period of time when it was still acceptable for actors in the seventies to be wearing ethnic makeup and passing themselves along as a part. That happened all the time. And you could watch television shows, I could point them out to you, where that was the thing. And there were certain stereotypes that were passed along when you were watching, let's say, something like Bonanza, the Chinese cook who basically is physically inferior to all the white men around him, and they constantly have to rescue him from Yeah. Him. And that's why, in the 70s, Bruce Lee shattered that stereotype like a karate chop. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't matter that he was 165 pounds and five foot five or whatever. Yeah. It's like he was terrifying, and he really sort of 
gave this sort of masculinity, at least in cinematic culture, yeah. to a culture who had been emasculated for whatever reason. Right, and then we switched to the terrible sort of mm-hmm. dichotomy of, well, you can beat us up, but you can't have our women. Right. And they were desexualized. And, and Bruce Lee threatened that because his wife was a blonde-haired You know who woman. does threaten that yeah. is Jet Li. Jet Li Everyone does. falls in love with Jet Li. I have watched, I don't know how many program making of films on his films. Bridget Fonda, um, who's uh, in the one... Um, and the dragon. Uh, and right. the, not oh, Kiss the, the, the Dragon. Kiss the Dragon. That was Bridget Fonda. And it was the other actress who... Uh, God, his name just And the one her. from Unleashed, probably. Right. Well, she... Yes. And, but the one... And her name, she is the actress who was just in the Stephen King adaptation on Netflix, where she just talked about how really impressive he is. And he does have this sort of thing about being very charming and shy and magnetic and at the same time a killing machine. And it's a real ability that he has, even though he's ridiculously humble about it. And part of his charm is that he plays off as being humble about it. You know? Carlo Gugino. Carlo Gugino, who I, I love. It was interesting watching that stereotype get broken. It's interesting watching stereotypes get broken here. And I really hope this is a step forward. I'm thinking this is a benchmark, that this is what we're going to look at. There's not just black superheroes, there's still not enough Hispanic superheroes, but what are you going to do? There's a lot of Asian superheroes. Well, but Marvel made mm-hmm. uh, Ghost Rider right. Hispanic. And in that the, was in the, the um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. It had a great, and he was unapologetically Hispanic. I love the date credit at the bottom of the screen back in the day, because that was like such a Latin thing to do. Yeah. And I think that. As we see going forward, the sort of complexion of the country changing, it's going to become more and more important to have these representations. Yeah, there's a new movie coming out in August called Crazy Rich Asians, which is the first... They were saying it was the first um, Asian-led big Hollywood... uh, Like, major um, release, like, major production company release. Um, There was another movie with... Asian, this is so sad. There was one about cheating on the SATs, I think, that came out in the 90s. Better Luck Tomorrow? Maybe. Which was a really But I think it might have actually been an indie, an uh-huh. indie it thing. It was an indie film. Yeah, was. so that must be the why. But I, I 2002, remember, and it's Justin Lin. I remember... Um, oh, John Cho was in that? I gotta watch. Oh, yeah, it's a good film. It I is a really John good Cho. film. Because it plays into a lot of Asian stereotypes about right. succeeding and... Uh, so, and Crazy, Crazy Witch Asians mm-hmm. is based on a book. It's based on a novel. Right. And it is... It's going to star... Const- or it stars Constance Wu, who's uh-huh. in Fresh Off the Boat. She's marrying, like, like the prince of Singapore. Like, he's right. not a prince, but Singapore is not a monarchy, but um, very rich. Mm-hmm. He's, like, the top yeah. family in the... In the uh, country, the most eligible bachelor or whatever, and she's going to marry into that family. Michelle Yao plays his mom. Now, Michelle Yao, who I love because she I is side-eyeing like a pro in his... more intimidating as a mom than Michelle Yao, who I remember first seeing, falling in love with her when I saw her get on a motorcycle and ride the motorcycle off a ramp onto a moving train. What is this? This is super cop because she couldn't let Jackie Chan outdo her. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, but uh, people are, I don't want to say complaining, uh-huh. but one of the critiques that are coming out on this film, and um, it's been released, mm-hmm. you know, it's been seen in festivals and it comes out in August in wide release, 
Um, and I'm already seeing commercials for mm-hmm. it, which is awesome because lately I feel like a movie's coming out on Friday and the first commercial I see for it is mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Proud Mary. Um, what? Proud Mary. Oh, yeah. Well, you no, didn't see nothing. a commercial. It's like, what, there's like, a poster what? and the movie was released. That poster is cool. What is this movie right. that I've never heard of? But they're saying there's not enough different kinds of Asians, which is a problem mm-hmm. because when you get one, it has to be everything to everyone, well, okay. which is not feasible. If, if, if you want to see all sorts of different kinds of Asians, there's other films from, from Asia. Right. And but they so, want to see an American film. They're that, American. They, you can't fulfill everyone's promise with uh, one that's film. The, and that's the problem. That's why right. we need more of these films. Right. And it's so each like, film can tell the story that it wants to tell. So to our Caucasian audiences, dear white people, don't, don't get offended. This isn't for you. I remember years why ago... Why is it no, not no, no, for listen, me, this though? This is the point. It's not that it's not for you. What I'm saying is, it's not marketed towards you. Years ago, when Spike Lee was hitting his first stride, he said, I forget which news agency says, I don't make movies for white people. And they completely took it the wrong way. Yes. Yeah, it's and like, I can understand this that. This movie yeah. is not made for you necessarily as an audience. They'll appreciate you watching it. But the thing is, but if the, the thing movie is isn't appealing movie. to you on all levels... Because it's not necessarily made for this particular audience. Right, but if a movie is good... Because here's the difference Uh between Black Panther and Medea. (laughs) Medea doesn't want me. Right. Medea's specifically like, bitch, I do not need your $8. Mm -hmm. I got $8 from her and her and him and her and her. Black Panther is a movie that was made for everyone. I feel like Get Out is a movie that everyone... If you've got some critical thinking... Uh, capability as a white person. It's a movie made for everyone. Right. You know what I like? Rom-coms. Mm-hmm. You know what I like? Hot dudes. You know what I like? Constance Wu. This movie is made for me. Right, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, for instance, it's not made for me because... You don't like a rom-com. Because I'm like, what's the point? I know what the ending's going to be. You know. <laughs> They're going to get married and love each other forever. forever and and ever, I will watch right. for two hours while it happens. <laughs> Just... Unless I know you don't like a rom-com, but I do. Unless it's very entertaining or someone gets eaten by a dinosaur or something. You know, I just, I, I'm kind of... I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. But I don't, ne- I don't need the person on the screen to look like me to be engaged. Right. Now, do I like to see women on screen? Yes. Mm-hmm. I do. Fucking, I like, I'm going to say 98% of women oh. when... Wonder Woman is running across that battlefield. Mm. I burst into tears and I didn't even know it was going to happen. But I was like, I just wanted to see this so bad. And I didn't know I didn't even know. You get the sense with Wonder Woman, there's a whole kind of messianic story going on. And it is a really outstanding film. And the reason why it's outstanding isn't even necessarily what it says, although it does say a great deal, as much as how you get a woman's point of view telling this story. Yeah. A man's point of view. I really feel uh, like the female helm, the female director on that movie, like my understanding is there are several shots in the Justice League of just Wonder Woman's ass because there's a dude behind the camera, that's why, for no reason. Yeah. If you do as many close-ups on Jason Momoa's abs... I won't have an argument. I haven't seen Justice League. I cannot right. speak to whether or not that that is true. Yeah. But like, we don't need to sexualize her. She does. She's not wearing a short skirt for you to go hubba that hubba. That's not. When I'm looking at that film, I find her attractive in a completely different way. In that she's powerful. 
And that that's something that I always, uh, the joke that I always had with my ex-wife, is this woman sexy because she's sexy or she's sexy because she's waving a sword above her head and doing it right? Yes, because like she could super kill me at any moment. <laughs> that's a that's lot. <laughs> attractive just in the, you know, because we watched a lot of Hong Kong movies together and Michelle Yeoh is a perfect example of that. It's like she has all sorts of things going on for her personality. But one of them is the fact that there's no, when she can approach a role and not have any give to it. I don't have to make any concession to you because you're a man. Right. I don't need you to protect me. I don't need you to take care right. of me. And when you're watching a film like Wonder Woman, part of what is really great is Gal Gadot's performance of being so utterly guileless in her mission to save the world. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't... And, she, and, and that right. scene when she's running out of the party and he's right. like, you can't do this. And she's like, you don't have any say in what I do. Right. Actually. Which, like, puny um, mortal, get the fuck out of my way. I, what I also really appreciate about that film is that in the original iterations of this on television and film, you saw a Wonder Woman who's hopelessly in love with Steve Trevor. And this is why she leaves Paradise Island, because she's in love with this man who's so committed to his work that he can't see her. And what you saw this time was that this attraction is based on the fact that they really are kindred. Right. On some level. They both want to save the world. He's a little bit more jaded about it. Yeah. But he's looking to her. Well, he's been in the world longer. Right. He's been in the world longer, but she's inspiring to him because she doesn't see what the problems are. Right. She's just, she's just like, well, we're just going to do this. And he's ne- she needs him because she is so innocent that she's just sort of wandering she's just this gonna, yeah. world. And, and so in that way, they sort of meet in the middle. Somewhere. Right. And I really appreciate that Chris Pine, even in interviews, just opened it up and pulled back from it. You know, it's like he wasn't being... Yeah, he wasn't like, right. oh, if I'm the weaker in this relationship that that emasculates me right it doesn't no it doesn't I mean, it's not a pie it's right a, once again we're going to go back to the pie metaphor because i'm loving that pie metaphor when other people get equality you right. don't lose anything it's not a pie yeah. <laughs> when one person I, is strong you don't become which is weaker what I meant it's not a pie when i said if the, the movie isn't for you it's not that the movie isn't that people are ignoring you and they don't want you as an audience what right. i meant is that if you are not directly the person that the film is made for, you can find a way to enjoy it, or you can just not see it, but yeah. don't complain that it exists. We live in a world where not too long ago, there was a police department that was pulling down uh, the, the target figures, because their target figures on their shooting range were pictures of black men dressed as hoodlums, and that was their target range. And so somebody eventually complained. So when the police are in the street, all right. they see is targets. And Just all they see is targets. And representations of black and Hispanic people in the media. Yeah. And it's something that I've shared here before. I stopped counting after 14 times I was racially profiled for the seven years I was living in Berkeley. Right. And that was Berkeley, which is a really liberal town. <sighs> Berkeley proclaims right. itself liberal, sure. Right. So <laughs> I got it from both sides. But... What happens, I believe, largely, is that people go with the representation they see on TV. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've also complained about. Every time Sh- Amy Schumer makes a joke about non-consensual sex with Hispanics, that falls back on me. Yeah. Here's the thing about what non-consensual sex is. Uh-huh. That's rape. Right. So, I decided to go, you know, I was dating Hispanic men, but I decided to go consensual. That was her joke. Yeah, so that's as a, a white woman joke. making that joke. That's the, you're literally saying the right. same thing that Trump said on the day that he right. Or when Trump is proclaiming that some of them are animals, well, how how are we supposed to know? So when I look back that, and particularly, I feel that I can speak about Trump not because I'm not I'm responding directly to his racial branding of my people, right? 
and, and that, yeah, he's, there's lots of issues with him, but when I look at that, there's a stereotype about my people now that is being carried out to where I'm going to be treated differently. Yep. I get screamed at by the solitary white woman who's stuck on an elevator with me. It's happened twice. I had another one running away. Those things happen to me because there's a stereotype that's being pushed every time you right, see right, right. representation. And you are a, a man who speaks unaccented English. Right. And it's it's also something like that... Like you're, mm-hmm. you're not even saddled with right. an accent or a language barrier or anything else like that. And there's a... There's a uh, when I was working on a truck crew... Uh, furniture moving a few well I guess it's uh, almost a year ago now mm-hmm. it was a part time job it was the number of times I ran into people in the homes where we were getting the furniture from who would try to like sort of yell at me because they didn't think I understood English yeah and and um, the coddled and I'm going to not even say it's not even a white person thinking there's a, there's a bit of an American thing right. to it of yelling at somebody like raising your voice because you don't think they understand the language mm-hmm. that you're speaking? Right. What's that about? Uh, it's not like they're going to understand if you yell at them. Yeah, no. But it's weird. I, I'm not deaf. Yeah. That's not the issue. I remember... And if I was deaf, you're yelling uh, at me wouldn't help anybody anyways. Yeah. No, this is for nothing. This is right. for no one. This uh, solves no problem. I was with a truck crew and we were... God, I don't even remember where we were, but we were competing with another group because we took donations of people that were taking donations for a cat shelter. Oh, that's right. And you and, worked for Uhuru. Right, which took donations for the education of African people or the African diaspora living inside this in country, area, getting yeah. medical needs met and things like running clinics. Um, but anyhow, so that's what we were doing, and they were saving cats. And which are fine. Cats, which, are, great, well, cats are great, but they're also not human people. beings. So they were fighting us over getting who gets the best furniture, and we divided it all up, and they got some sporting goods. So at one point... There's like a fiberglass bow. It wasn't even a particular good one that hadn't been strung. It's something like you find at summer camp. And so these women were trying to put it together. And so they asked us because we were bigger and strong and, and colored people. And men. And men. Uh, also, because I think if you, if uh, I recall correctly, everybody in yeah, that group was, was women. Sort of woman over 50. Um, and so what happens is that I got it and I strung it, put my leg into it, and did the whole thing that I remember from uh, the story. And they're like, well, how did you know how to do that? Are you an archer? I said, no, I just remembered uh, the Odyssey, where Odysseus is able to string the bow that uh, Hera gave him the wit and the strength. Of, and they're staring at me like I'm a trained like you, animal. Like you're an animal. Like, like how Odyssey. do you know what this and is? And I sort of lean into it. And I go, yeah, the Odyssey, which I find a lot better than the Iliad. The Iliad was far too much sort of like trash Everyone talking Everyone thinks bros. the Odyssey is better than the Iliad. Yeah, because the Odyssey, <laughs> you can identify with it. But the Iliad is a lot of trash talking between bros about who's going to go down next and who, you know, whatever. I'm going to get you, bro. Right, exactly. What is it? So Come at me, bro. <laughs> the expression on their faces when they're looking at me, like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? doing How dare moving you do that? Right. It was really strange. Like, and, and to a certain extent, yes, what am I doing moving furniture? And now I have another job. But it was the expectation of ignorance mm-hmm. that was based on my job and the way that I look. Well, yeah, and that's happening, I think, more and more. There's this tinge that is coming from the top down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing all of these posts like, you know, if you if you want minimum wage or if you want $15 an hour, get a real job. Right. Motherfucker, if you are going to a restaurant and you don't think that your servers right. have a real job, go the fuck home. Well, I'd like them to try it. I'd like them to try the hours that you get it's, from the it's server. Super, it's hard work. The hard work, the long hours, and the disrespect but that you al- get. But also, like, mm-hmm. literally, like, 
Well, then, when you come to this restaurant, what do you expect to happen if they all go get, quote-unquote, real jobs? Right. Well, I also had the issue that we, when I worked at the, the shop where I work now, I had um, I was hired there as a manager. Yeah. And there yeah. was a young white staff member who, when I would go up to help somebody, said, I want to talk to your manager and point to the staff member who was there, who was white. Yes. And I'm like, I'm his manager. And they would look around saying, well, I want to talk to the owner then. Because yeah. they, whatever issue what they What I have, don't want to do is talk to you talk about to this. You. And there's this sort of issue with me being me. And so, again, and this, the way that it ties into the film is that I think that we are inundated with images of black and Hispanic villains mm-hmm. and rapists and murderers and muggers and criminals and look who's Even talking. Even when they're the victims, right. they get turned around, well, what was he doing? Right. Well, look who's talking. Remember those films from the, was it the 80s? Look who's talking? Yeah. Like the the baby talking? Right. There's movies? a scene in one of the films where... I've not seen Somebody's them, about so. to be... They're chased by wolves, and all the wolves are played by African-American actors. Oh, Jesus. With street vocals, and, the, and that goes back to Dumbo. Well, I mean, well, Rose. yeah. I mean, the, it's just... And The Lion King, right. the jackals are played by... It's Cheech and Whoopi. Right. And I don't remember the other person. Well, these are the jackals or the hyenas? Hyenas, I'm yeah. sorry, yes. I, I don't know the difference between those animals. Right. But there's still... It's not a race thing, it's an animal you thing. You brought up the, the fact that when you're watching a science fiction film, particularly, there are often representations of characters who are meant to be Jews. Yes. And they all Which have the same would, physical characteristics. They're small, they have trunks or, you know, whatever. Large, proboscis. Right. So and large noses. And they're small and they talk too fast. And this is... Another and they're like, um, they typically are hoarding money. Right. Or are, And this yeah. was in The Phantom Menace. This was in... Oh, it was in Valerian. Valerian. That's this what it was, was yeah. In, um, th- this is a... And un- that was brought to my attention. These are Ferengi in Star Trek. Uh, yes. It was brought to my attention by Elliot Kalin in the mm-hmm. Flophouse. Right. Because I, I would not have picked up on that. Well, I... Because it's it. not something that I'm culturally sensitive right. to. And it's not a it's not a stereotype that I hold mm-hmm. about Jewish people. Right. But I certainly see it. I'm like, oh no, I get what's being done now that it's been brought to my attention. But because I'm sort of outside of both sides well, also of that. Because who do we have? You know, one of our dearest friends, you know, David Lubin, a production designer, a former production designer in Hollywood. Is a Jewish man who's six foot one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, right. Yeah. We've never seen and that another Jew, our, another Jewish friend that we have right. is a black man. So I mean, right. It's uh, yeah. <sighs> like I, I never got to get that stereotype, but um, but it's like a continuing problem, and people. I remember I got um, made aware of the the one the character in the Flying Menace, by the uh, God the Health and Human Services officer in my old job. Is also Jewish, and just like yeah, is that the movie? It's the Phantom Menace. That's the one with the flying blue Jew. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I guess so. I didn't even think about it. But I don't recall the. There's Phantom a character Menace, that so has sort of like a trunk, and he's flying around. And he's pot bellied. I am saying I know what you're. Yeah, I know you're trying talking to find about now. And things and well, that Jar Jar was turning racist as well. Well, not just that. I think the very opening scene has these alien characters that are all speaking almost pidgin English. With these very heavily Asian accents, I was watching this with a time. I was married at the time to my, you know, Japanese Japanese, yes, and uh, Chinese wife, who's wife, my yeah. Japanese ex-wife, 
And we're watching it. We just turn to each other and go, well, there, there we go. <laughs> it's done. I mean, I guess. <laughs> we're out. <laughs> yeah, that's, and what's funny is I got that film as a gift from my aunt. I really thought I would find it wonderful. I'm like, you know, maybe, again, not being confronted with that stereotype, not being married to an Asian person, having an Asian son. Right. But, um, and I get accused online a lot when I'm defending this point about cultural sensitivity or you're trying to make yourself look good in front of other people. And I'm like, do you realize my last name and what it means and why I think yeah. that nobody should be prejudiced against? Yeah. And that's why I try, instead of mm-hmm. making proclamations, I mean, sometimes I will just make mm-hmm. proclamations on Facebook like, fuck you, racist assholes. Fuck the police. Every once in a while, I just post that on my Facebook. But a page. lot of times, what I'll do instead is share somebody else's words so that it doesn't look performative or appear Mm -hmm. performative because I mean I don't if if I appear performative that's unfortunate but it's not where I'm coming from yeah um but if somebody saw you making a proclamation there could be some sort of oh you're trying to appeal mm -hmm, to exactly if they see me doing it why would they no and I have to defend that point no my son is not just your last name your first name is not right you know I mean yeah. At some point, it's going to be... Given my size and my uh, name, apparently, a lot of um, black targeted magazines where where you get right. pretty church hats, Yeah, they think that I'm their target audience. And I would love to wear those hats, but it's not for me. <laughs> it's not that you're rejecting. It's just that you have a thing about hats. I don't like them. Even like, when I was a baby, I like would pull the them off my head. in Heaven Can Wait, which we just discussed. <laughs> you, not interested in hats. You're rejecting hats. It's yeah. like nodding your head. But yeah, this is uh, th- that's probably why I really thought this episode was important. It's important to see a Luke Cage on the screen. Yeah. And it's important when you see Luke Cage. And, and you get to learn about black history. Right. And it's like... I like, was, I did research after they mentioned some stuff. I was like, I don't know what this well, is. Well, <laughs> when I'm sitting there listening to him, I've worked in the book industry uh, up until recently. That was just what I did. And having someone reference Donald Goins as a black author, like, oh my God, yeah, I haven't seen... I, you never hear that. No. And they're... Uh, they really went into deep they culture. They in and you could... There was a whole... M- Explanation of who Crispus Attucks was, um, because it was and Crispus honestly, Attucks like story. I'm not, I'm not like anti-white. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. It's like I'm not a self-hating white person. But like when I see the fall lineup for different networks, mm-hmm. when every show is just chock full of white people, right. I'm just like, Ugh. and that's certainly. But that's I, what's on now. I, like <laughs> I think what I find in relating this issue to my. I hate saying Caucasian because that makes it sound like you're from the Caucasus. Uh, but when you say white Maybe people, that holds a whole dynamic. No, you're Irish. <laughs> and a- Indian. She's Native American. A Only bit. a little bit. It doesn't count. I'm a little bit more Native American. Yes, you are. <laughs> you win. <laughs> this is a pie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pie. Half of it is Native American. But the thing is, better representation will lead to more diverse images of people we're not stuck with the sort of stereotypes that we've been playing. There's and there will be more room for failure. Right. Yeah. Black Panther is by, by, I mean, it really lived up mm. to the hype that was behind it and the hope that was around right. it for most people. Some people had some right. issues with it. And, and I understand some of the issues and maybe in, you know, at the end of the season we can come back once mm. it's less spoilery 
and discuss some of right. the issues that people had because I think that there are uh, certainly um, relevant mm-hmm. criticisms. But the more movies that aren't so lily white mm-hmm. that are released, the more freedom those filmmakers are going to have to right. try different things and do different things. And, okay, I got. I now remember what I was. What were you going to say? Ooh. My point was, it's like you're saying that you're not anti-white. I wish there was another way of saying this because the problem is, it will sound like less white people, more this, which is not the point. No, the as point, many white right. people, and also all of the other things. Well, I just want to see. I'm not saying uh-huh. fucking Steven Spielberg, pack it up, go home, and never make another no. movie again. Do whatever you're going to do. I'm saying that, but not because yeah, but he's you hate Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, that's him. a separate thing. I'm actually, but I'm, I'm kind of give Ryan Coogler right. money. Give right. Jordan Peele money. These things should not be give, anomalies. No, they shouldn't. They should. Right. When eight large movies are coming out in a month, say that's how, say that's mm-hmm. what it is. Say it's two a. Uh, right. I'd like to see half and half. That'd be awesome. Well, I, I would like Could to see I get? It. Can I get one a month? You know what I like? Okay, <laughs> let me give you an example. I like Moonlight because Moonlight is a and I always. Hey, guess this. what? That movie's not for you. Right, and it's not. <laughs> and I appreciate it. And what I'm saying is that I like movies often that will give me an insight into a world that I didn't see. Right, I've you don't know. Yeah. I will sit and watch an officer and a gentleman because you know what? I do not know what it was like being an army deb on the Puget Sound in 1980s, early 1980s. Right. That's a completely foreign world. So I'm looking at it like, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it's given me a chance to be a part of something else. A well-made so, story. Right. Told well. Yeah. About people whose struggles I don't, even people whose struggles I don't understand. Well, I want to understand what that struggle is because, right. and so I'll watch a movie with an all-white cast. I'll watch a movie. It doesn't matter as long as it's Well, you don't me. have many choice. If you want to watch movies, uh-huh. at some point you've right. got to break down and watch a movie with no, all white no, American-made movies, right. I should be specific. I see no representations really of my people very much. I mean, that's something, again, it goes in, uh, if I want to see stories about crime, and I'm looking at, I kind of want to... <laughs> I literally would just uh-huh. went, read through my end, and I was like, no, no, no. Beatrice at dinner. Right, there we go. But she's, I mean, Go she's Salman. not even a maid right. in that. And when I'm watching a film, I've watched Everly, which was a film with Salma Hayek, which is not for everybody. It's one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. But what also bothered me was the representation of Asian people in the film, because it's about a woman standing up to the Akasa. Oh, okay. And it carries around those images and those stereotypes about Asian sadism, about Asian... Uh, Made by a non-Asian, I Not by an Asian. And what's interesting in researching that film, going, how did this, this is really violent. And originally, the performer was supposed to be the daughter of Goldie Hawn. Kate Hudson? Kate Hudson. So in the Selma Hayek role? The original part, because it's supposed to be the girlfriend of a mob boss who gets raped and beaten up before the movie begins and then taken revenge. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Kira Knightley on this one. I am tired of seeing women characters raped. Well, well, it happened off screen in this case, but I know, but it's yeah, still a... it's still there. So, my thing, my thing is that you know, looking at that, well, maybe it was a step better seeing a Hispanic woman stand up to the yakuza than seeing a real white white girl. Yeah, know, then we get that the, white right. savior, and, and also watching Jared Leto. It's the film on Netflix also, where he's oh yeah um, insinuating himself in the yakuza. It's like he would last two seconds. Two there. seconds, yeah. There's that notion of white masculinity that's going to conquer everywhere, which has not been supported historically at all. You know, uh, when I was I was when I was looking at 
uh, Black Panther last time, I remembered how the film that I saw about courage under fire as a soldier was Zulu, which is basically a bunch of English or Welshmen standing up to the Zulu army. Right. Oh, I and thought for is... a second you were talking about that movie where that dude's running. No, no, that was a Naked Prey. Yeah, Naked Prey. I but that was a that which accidentally had was problematic. Yeah, you, which is a movie you like, but I'm like, it was problematic because. But is this really the plot? Like for the Naked Prey, the plot is a, a hunter who is captured by an African tribe, which is represented by actual African actors, um, and their dialogue is entirely in Swazi, I think. And they go hunting, and they strip him naked and hunt him, and he fends them off one by one and gets home in time. So this is a, a an anti-hunting movie, but it also well the problem it was, makes them it really leans into that sort of savages right, and it also made I people uncomfortable. Make quotes around that, but you couldn't see it. The white character who's a hunter who's very experienced kind of fends off the advances of this hunting party. They can't catch him. Yeah, they definitely one hundred percent kill that. Dude. Now. <laughs> the thing was, what's interesting, there's a really great uh, documentary. Well, not documentary. It's a interview with Cornell Wilde, the filmmaker. Yeah. He's a very brilliant man, apparently. He talked about how he didn't understand the suggestions, including from Robert e- Roger Ebert. This was a white, superior-leaning film. He said, the movie was actually written from a historical story about the Old West. I said, why don't we sit in Africa? And employ it's these black actors. It's not good with Indians. It's not good with Africans. It's not good. And he tried, it's just not. And for a man who later on went and on. And it's frustrating uh, because it's like, this is a cool story. I want to yeah. tell this cool story. Yeah. But you've got to really look at it from all sides and go, this is not well, a story that I should be It's What makes telling. it even funnier is that he, Cornell Wilde, was green well ahead of his time. He actually got injured separating animals from hurting each other during the making of this film, oh, believe geez. it or not. Yeah, it was that bad. No, I believe it. And, he went and on, I don't think he had ill will. No, I just think that his, one of his the films, thought, it um, wasn't thought all the way through. Right. <laughs> and then we are left with a right. pretty problematic film. One of his films, Shark Reef, is about a group of adventurers in Mexico. One of his later films, when he was directing rather than acting of being captured by a group of convicts. And Yafit Koto was one of his first, you know, he's the co-lead of the film. And one of the characters is a gay con who's escaping from his, and this is 1970-something. So there was a lot of, he was really forward-thinking, but that one kind of blew up in his face, and that's what makes it sad, because people will get this association from watching that movie and have no idea the trouble he went through to... All African crews speaking African languages, yeah, African musical ca- score, which is all with African instruments. It still wasn't. Yeah, and then it's just like, I don't think he got the fact that he was still trying to do a very typical Hollywood movie inside of this new world, and it kind of blew up on him. And he, things changed for him later on, and he, I think he got more aware of the fact that this might have... His intentions were good, but it wound up yeah. not good. I think he probably... Would have liked Black Panther, honestly. Oh, probably. Because he went through so much trouble to get authenticity for the black performers that mm-hmm. were, you know, using actual. No one was coming from Hollywood. These were all African performers playing these parts. Right. And he had to but work the, with them through translators. The parts but were 
Right. It was th- the parts where the parts that African Americans would be like, no, right, exactly. And that's, <laughs> like that's I'm not going to do that afterwards. And the so film. then you're looking at like, well, then did you kind of exploit them right. a little bit? Well, because them, they didn't really know how it was going to read on film right. if they're not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Anyways, we don't. Yeah, that's but anyhow, I mean, really, that's about it. I don't have much else to say. That, oh, and also the uh, portrayal of women in this film is except like. except on the villain side. Mm-hmm. The woman on the villain side gets real short shrift, and it's a little bit baffling to me, given how badass every other woman is in the movie. Mm-hmm. The woman on the villain side really just—we're not going to give anything away, but. Mm-hmm. Well, she has probably, I can't remember. Two lines? Yeah. Just not. I think maybe it was also an instance of how long is this movie at this point? And how I don't, then I, they should have just taken really that good, character out completely. Yeah, then, right. I mean, okay. that's, that's my feeling. To, mm. to, to have her there for basically nothing. Right. I mean, it proves a point about um, Eric Kilmonger's uh, personality. Right. And drive. But it's a shitty point to prove. Right. Well, in comparison in to the other women in the yeah. film. But, really yeah, but the other women are... His bodyguards. I'm going to say the driving force of the movie. Right. His, yeah, his ex, who like, is a spy, his bodyguards, who are all women, mm-hmm. his sister, who is like the C... C, right. T, uh, C and by the way, I love the technological fact officer. that you get to see... Um, there's a scene in Civil War mm-hmm. where uh, the the bodyguard, the personal bodyguard, yeah. what is her name? Oh, um, Okoye. Has like a brief confrontation, like a visual confrontation, it's all done with the eyes, with Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson's mm-hmm. killer spy, and he's looking at it going, this would be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, how this fight goes. And I like the fact that that's not carried over when they're in the Infinity War film. They're fighting side by side. Side by side. Using, actually, and it's it's done well. One of the things that bothers me in films, I was watching The the Blacklist with you. Was it not Blacklist? Right, Blind Spot. Blind Spot. One of the problems I had with that that series is that whoever was whoever staged her combat scenes in that film, it was awful because they had her fighting like a man. And a yeah, woman fights and different. Fights differently. Her shape is different. She's right. smaller, and she has to use her weight in different ways. Right. She has to use her weight. I thought one of the best examples I've seen of that was Atomic Blonde, mm-hmm. where they really staged it with you're using a lot of the principle in Japanese is aiki, which is you're letting the other person give their weight, and then you're you're slamming them around. Right. And uh, and in that case, Charlize Theron, who I've always admired, a white actress, I will point out. Um, a white You're African not? actress, actually. Yes. A white African actress. <laughs> so that is true. That. So um, she really threw herself into that. Yeah. And I really respected it because she. this is the way a woman would fight. She'd pick up an instrument and hit somebody with it. She would equalize the size difference mm-hmm. and things like that. It was really intelligently done. What I liked about this film is that the characters in it fight appropriately. Yeah. They're using African weapons. Yep. Spears with lasers. With, but not just that, but the Amazing scene on the waterfalls. Yeah. They're using Africa is a very martially rich country. Yeah. And it's a pity that there's not a great deal of exploration to that. I've met a few African themed martial arts teachers and, and I always Maybe they want to keep that shit to themselves. Well, that that's the thing. But th- this It's was, not for you. <laughs> it was really they the women are fighting like women who would fight. 
They're using their their nimbleness and their speed as opposed to trying to it's run. It's also very strong. Like, right. Okoye is played by Denai Guerrero, who is also plays Michonne in The Walking Dead spends, right. and has much uh, time behind a much uh, not a machete, katana. a katana. Right. So her shoulders are very she strong. She has katana shoulders, <laughs> which anybody who does martial arts, you get katana shoulders and you get katana forearms. That's what you're using all the time, and yeah, it, it does a number on your, your body. But anyhow, um, but yeah, so yeah, I would highly recommend this film. I watch think Black Panther. You watch got Black seriously. Um, Get ahead of things. Be part of a cultural phenomena, and be part of the future. Make the right choice with this. Make the, yeah. This is the future of filmmaking. It's going to look a lot different than it has in the past. And I'm going to throw out, watch Ryan Coogler's other movies. He mm. made Fruitvale Station, which we have not seen yet right. because it happened very close to this house. As, there may be right. some relation to the right. victim of the crime. Um, to, to specify, we live about a mile, if not a little bit more, away from the actual Fruitvale uh, Station. Actual Fruitvale Station. We live uh, less than three blocks from Fruitvale Avenue. Right. I was there the morning, only a few hours after the shooting happened. That's right, yeah. I discovered later on that I was related to the victim by marriage. Yeah. And we'd actually met him several times without knowing who he was. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we used to actually go into the market there and buy stuff from him and not know that we would eventually be related to him, that he was going to be the person that died. Because my mom's birthday is New Year's Day, and so I would come visit every New Year's Day. And I was at the BART station watching... Like so many squad cars around, going how the what the what happened? Yeah, and then yeah. So so we haven't. It's hard. Watched I, it I yet. don't know if I can see it. <laughs> um, we'll we'll get there, but yeah. I think we have to be prepared for it. And his other movie is Creed, right? Which we did see, and it's so good. It supported the theory that was a great. It was because Rocky was a great movie. Rocky two was a great movie. Rocky three was. I even liked Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa, which was a good movie, but those the four and five kind of went off the rails. I like have only going, ever seen the first. And number the four, last he's fighting two. a giant Russian spy and going, I, I not, yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's a running joke on the mm-hmm. show for the people that right. one of the characters believes Rocky Four is the best Rocky. Right. Like that's a running that like that that's like. Sums up his personality. That's right. the thing that they've decided to talk about. Yeah. Right. Watch Creed, which is a much better film. Yeah. And whatever Ryan Coogler does next, mm. watch that. Right. Because he's very talented and he's super young. Right. Hopefully um, he has a long career ahead of him. Yeah. So he's like just turning 31 or something mm. this year. So hopefully, hopefully he, right. yes, a long career in front of him with much of Oakland because he's from here too. Yeah, yeah. That's and Black other. Panther has seen set in Oakland. So, well, it's Atlanta doing a but valiant effort to be, <laughs> to be Oakland. A valiant stand-in uh, position. Right. So that's going to do it for us because my battery is going to die on right, my computer. Okay. So um, thank you for joining us on this hiatus show. Uh, we're back next week with Heaven Can Wait. Um, we are starting our new format for the end of the year, season three. We're going to be watching in the month of June, Heaven Can Wait. Coming to America, Mulan, and Kit Kittredge, an American girl. <laughs> so that's what's happening. Ah, Once again, is. we're watching. Um, each week, we're going to be watching Sounds a like movie. Sounds like you're stuttering. Kit Kittredge. <laughs> each week, we're going to be watching a movie that came out in the same month, uh-huh. but a different decade. So from 78, 88, 98, and 08. So that is June's lineup. Mm-hmm. So we hope you come back. 
uh, and listen to that. And uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at LatecomersPod. You can email us, LatecomersPod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. So we beseech you, watch Black Panther, and come back next week for the screwball comedy. Regularly scheduled program. Heaven Can Wait. Right. Starring a bunch of white people. Uh, Well, (laughs) Warren Beatty. I don't know. And a bunch of other white people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, better better late late than than never. never.